0: Because everyone deserves to experience the joy of a beautiful day at the lake.
1: Because if polar bears thrive, humans will too.
2: Because people and wildlife need fresh air, clean water, and healthy places to live.
3: Today on Because Radio, we'll learn about the Indigenous People's Garden, one of the features of Canada's diversity gardens at Assiniboine Park.
2: Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre cares for injured, sick, and orphaned wildlife in Manitoba. This week's Winnipeg impact
3: maker, Jennifer LaFerriere, is helping cats and kittens find new homes through a cat cafe.
2: And we'll have highlights from this week's Because and Effect with Dana Spiring, President and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg.
3: All this and more on Because Radio. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to Because Radio, episode number twenty-five. My name is Robert Zirk, and I'm Sunny Pomolo. Sunny, how you doing this week? Doing great. I mean, the winter jackets are out, though. Oh goodness, yeah. You know, I think this week was the perfect example of unpredictable weather. Just earlier in the week, it was plus nineteen, and then what happened? Yeah, it, it was quite the change, definitely. But you know what? We're we're Winnipeggers. We can get through all kinds of all kinds of weather. If we can get through minus minus 30 degrees we can get through whatever the, uh, the autumn has lined up for us and speaking of lineups we have a great show lined up for you today our foundation feature focuses on environment and animal welfare producer jeremy Morantz visited the not yet completed canada's diversity gardens construction site at assiniboine park for a special community build day at the Indigenous Peoples Garden section of the upcoming attraction. And since it isn't open to the public yet, Jeremy was able to get a glimpse of what Winnipeggers can expect from these new gardens. He spoke with one of the designers behind the Indigenous Peoples Garden and a representative from Eagle's Nest, which is the organization that participated in the community build day. This week's Foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on environment and animal welfare.
4: I'm Jeremy Morant. I'm here now with Mamie Griffith. We're uh, currently in an active construction zone. We've got our hard hats, we've got our steel-toed boots and our vests and all the like. Mamie, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me.
4: So you are the Indigenous Design Consultant for the Indigenous Gardens here at the Diversity Gardens at Assiniboine Park. We're in the Indigenous Gardens aspect of it all right now. Can you tell me about the inception of the design of this gardens?
0: Yes, so um, I work with a group of indigenous designers. So there's myself and then there's also Dave Thomas and Shay Thomas. And we were brought into the project three years ago. We work very closely with HTFC, they're the landscape architects for the entire site. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started with a sunrise ceremony, about three, it was three summers ago. Um, And then we continued on with visioning sessions um, over the last three years, and it's it's really, the design really comes from community consultation with indigenous stakeholders and youth and elders, and it's been an ongoing process this whole time. We check in all the time with um, people that were here at the very beginning, new people have come into the project, um, so we, yeah, we've been really fortunate to have such a strong connection to the community, and uh, to sort of check in as the design evolves.
4: The the scale is something that uh, you don't really get a sense of until you're here and you see it. You know, driving by the diversity gardens from court, and I can kind of see that t- the tower-looking thing. But uh, it's not until you're actually here and you see how vast. The various gardens are, uh, but specifically the indigenous gardens. I know there's a fire and water element dichotomy going on when you were coming up with the design. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, the fire is for the sort of the male energy, and then the water is for the female energy, and it was really important to have that balance um, in the design and sort of uh, equal opportunities and. Um, Representation within the garden. Uh, We're specifically this active construction site is uh, is the women's node or the water node. Um, women are the water protectors in Indigenous culture, and it was important that this was, you know, like there's been a substantial amount of space put aside um, for this. So that that's that's really exceptional and unique, I think, um, and yeah, like I said, this project is, is ongoing, it's gonna to continue to evolve. This community build is sort of just, you know, the beginning, hopefully, of a long um, connection with the youth and uh, bringing organizations into Cinnamoine Park and uh, engaging people with the land and with the site and, you know, give them giving people hands-on experience, so.
4: Yeah. What was the process of bringing elders and indigenous voices into the visioning sessions? How did you get really get the community involved and get their voices heard?
0: Well, there were a lot of people that sort of envisioned the garden um, long before we were even involved with it. Um, so, my understanding is that that's how it that's how it started. It was really. Um, a group of elders that came and walked the land, and you know, sort of decided that this this was the right spot for the garden. Um, and yeah, and in, that's kind of how you how you do it in indigenous culture. It's about collaboration. It's about community. Um, you want you want the youth and you want the elders there, like you know. And and a lot of the elements that we've included in the park. Um, and some of the design aspects you know, have teachings and knowledge that really you know, should come from the elders. There was a lot of um, discussion as to sort of how uh, people would receive information here. And I think what people will find when the park does open is that it's, it's a subtle sort of um, trigger for storytelling you know, but you, you know, ideally you're coming here with, you know, a friend that has a teaching or an elder. And that's kind of the storytelling is really kind of what brings the life to the, to the garden.
4: I wanted to touch on that for sure. Like, what do you hope uh, when the indigenous garden is open, what do you hope it contributes to the conversation around indigenous relations and reconciliation, not only in our city, but in our country?
0: Well, I think the whole process has really been, you know, an act of reconciliation, like making sure that um, the stakeholders are here, that uh, everyone's involved, that there's continued community consultation and will be consultation throughout the life of the garden. You know, hopefully there's a advisory committee, there's an elder in residence, there's an indigenous artist in residence, um, and really, a lot of this is, is about building those connections to the community, you know, so that the programming is what gives life to the, to the garden for the next 10 years and further.
4: Well, Mamie, thank you so much for talking to me. This has been very insightful. Just being here, I, I, it gets me so excited for when it's all finally open and uh, people get to come and, and walk through it. It's great. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
4: So I'm now joined by Alyssa Gabriel, the lead program coordinator for Eagles Nest, an organization locally here in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Uh, Eagles Nest is coordinating the Community Build Day, which is of course the reason we're here at the Indigenous People's Gardens uh, at Assiniboine Park right now under construction. Alyssa, can you tell us a little bit about this Community Build Day? What's going on here?
5: So actually there is about 30 youth that came from within the city of Winnipeg So we actually have indigenous youth all the way from Ontario, Saskatchewan, and majority are from Winnipeg, Manitoba Um, Reserves from in Manitoba Um, We have about a couple groups building bridges, and also planting trees. And it's very exciting.
4: Participants are all over the landscape here. Um, it's a big landscape, and it's going to be exciting for when people in the city get to come see it. And it's what's really interesting is to, to see just how uh, these participants are contributing to the building of the gardens. What do you think the participants are getting out of this day on a personal level?
5: I think that it's actually lifting them up, empowering them within, and um, finding identity in where they are in the city of Winnipeg. And I think it's very important that we add the, especially Indigenous youth in community community builds just like this. And It just shows hope for the youth, and I feel that they are just enjoying the experience of using, you know, a power drill um, for the first time, picking up a shovel for the first time, knowing what a 2 by 4 is, and um, yeah.
4: Talk a little bit about what Eagles Nest as an organization is and what it's all about and what you do.
5: Okay, so the Eagles Nest Program is a twelve-week program for Indigenous youth, and we help them um, build resumes. It's for their personal and professional use. I mean. Um It builds them up, so pretty much we are facilitating workshops in life skills with time management and we ask also other partnering agencies to come in and do some trainings like CPR first aid, mental health uh, first aid, women's, the business ethics certificate. Awesome organizations just come in and just want to be a part of the exciting, uplifting programs just like us.
4: Mm -hmm. Alyssa, thank you so much for Because Radio. I'm Jeremy Morant signing off from the active construction zone at Assiniboine Park for the Indigenous People's Garden.
2: Thanks, Jeremy. Coming up next on Because Radio, the Winnipeg Foundation's ECCC, or Employee Charitable Contribution Committee, recently organized an opportunity for Foundation staff to tour and volunteer at Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre, which is just outside the city. While we were there, I had the chance to speak with the organization's Executive Director, Lisa Tretiak, about their work in helping care for injured, sick, and orphaned wildlife in Manitoba. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined by Lisa Trediak. She's the president and co-founder of Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. Lisa, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with me today.
6: Great. Thank you very much for coming.
2: Tell our listeners a little bit about Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation Center You co-founded the organization in 2007. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how Prairie Wildlife got started and and why you wanted to start this organization.
6: For sure, I'm very interested in um, helping wildlife, and it was always as a child wanting to help the birds that might strike the windows and didn't know what to do. So later in life, um, got the opportunity to learn about wildlife rehabilitation and how unique and different it is that you're working to fix animals and get them back out in the wild, not trying to keep them. In care and try to find homes, forever homes for them. So it's a very unique um, kind of process to do wildlife rehabilitation. So in 2007, a group of us started um, the Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. So we thought we wanted to do things a little bit different for wildlife, um, try to encourage more natural spaces, enrichment, um, and really sort of focus on uh, the rehabilitation part and learning from other centers how we can do a better job with the animals coming into care. Um, When we first started in 2007, we had about 200 animals coming through our doors Um, last year we had over 1600 so uh, each year we could see an increase in the demand of animals coming into care needing our help um, in the rehabilitation setting Um, so we just see that our organization growing each year with that
2: and one of the things you notice so we're here on location uh, at the center and one of the things you notice is just the sort of ingenuity of, of repurposing a lot of a lot of materials, recycling a lot of materials that maybe otherwise would have been destined for the landfill, and you put it to good use. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you receive that you're able to, to reuse and repurpose to help wildlife.
6: For sure. So one of the unique things that we did, we actually have school buses that we use as the um, inner parts for a trailer. Um, the seats that were originally in there, there was wooden pieces. So those wooden pieces were removed from the seat and now used to make squirrel boxes that some of the volunteers are doing today. Um, We've had other opportunities um, of someone having an old trampoline and using that really... a strong frame to create um, the bottom of some of our flight enclosures. Um, we've also had even um, swing sets that we can use um, the frame and and be able to wire up the, around the outside for some of our rabbits. Um, so we try to find other unique ways of using items. Um, sometimes it can be as simple as just scrap wood that people no longer need in their home um but it can also be um even trampolines the actual uh, mesh netting that sometimes will get holes in it makes wonderful coverage for some of our enclosures to prevent the too much sunlight prevent some of the rain going into the enclosure so um you know there's a there's some ways we can sort of use it for a different purpose even if there's some holes or if it's not perfect
2: what are some of the most uh common Uh, birds and animals that you see here at the center?
6: Very common are going to be our songbirds and some of the smaller mammals. So we get animals that people will find in their backyard. So typically we get the most um, animal would be a rabbit. So baby rabbits um, and squirrels. Um, People are less frightened to capture those animals compared to something larger like a fox or a porcupine. Um, So those are the the mammals. The songbirds, we'll see a lot of sparrows and pigeons, uh, but we'll take anything up to the size of a bald eagle or a swan. But some of those larger birds can be quite dangerous, and those are brought to us by conservation officers or by skilled volunteers that can bring it to our site.
2: You mentioned that you see uh, around 1,600 animals a year. How many animals are, are usually at the center in any given time?
6: For sure. So our busiest seasons are, usually runs from May to October. Um, so May and June are usually when we're seeing lots of animals coming through, lots of baby animals being born. So typically we'll have about 150 to 175 animals um, during those months in on site and caring for. Um, the rest of the time, June and or sorry, July and August, we'll see about hundred animals at site. Now we'll be lower, probably closer to 20 to 30 animals.
2: I'm sure it's different for for different kinds of animals, but describe for me what the process is when when someone brings in uh, an injured animal or an orphaned animal. What's the process to get them in care and then get them rehabilitated?
6: So we have a couple of options and it's to get the animals to our site in a a quicker fashion. So we don't want people to hold on to animals for too long um, to potentially make them more ill or more sick. So we do have two drop-off locations within Winnipeg. Um, Because our rural site is outside of the city, sometimes people don't want to do that extra drive or they're finding it at night when our site might be closed. So we do have a 24-hour vet clinic, the Pemina emergency clinic will um, accept animals there as well as another drop-off on the east side. So first they'll get dropped off there and the information will be written down. Um, a lot of people will want to find out how the animal's doing or if it's an animal that needs to go back to its original territory we'll have all that information written down for our permits and, and to be able to get it back where it came from. When it comes when our volunteer picks it up from this from a drop-off location to our site or, um, the medical volunteers do an exam of it. So they'll figure out what might be the problem is it a baby animal that is dehydrated hasn't had any food to drink um, for the last uh, few days or is it a bird that just got hit by a car so they'll figure out what has been sort of the injuries because the animals can't tell us what happened Um, and then from there we decide what is the plan for rehabilitation Do they need fluids? Do they need a medication? Um, So those processes are figured out by our trained volunteers. And then from there, they're going to be set up in an enclosure with food and water. Um, After that, once we sort of had them um, they may either go for more emergency care at a veterinary clinic where they might need surgery or they might need x-rays or they might come into an outdoor enclosure where they just need to finish off the rest of the rehabilitation so it all really depends on what the injuries are what is the reason for it to come into care and then from there we can um, set them up and, and have a plan of how they go through the rehabilitation process.
2: Some of the animals at the center are education ambassadors. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of those animals and their role?
6: For sure. So um, there's only a very small number of animals that would qualify into our education program um, because many wild animals do not like humans um, or their injuries are too severe. But if there are animals that come into our care that we deemed could be a great educational ambassador, these um, ambassadors are trained to go to schools and that the kids can learn about um, the animals, about their species, and potentially learn how to protect them. Where would you find them? What could you do in your backyard to encourage a natural habitat um but again how to prevent them from getting injured so we want to always give this information to the children who can then pass along to their parents and again we have opportunities that we can be in um uh, booths at special shows or events um to have the parents come and ask us questions we want to give that give them this information so that they don't feel um uninformed and and not know how to deal with an animal in their backyard many of the animals that we get calls about are just letting people know what is the natural history about wildlife so say for example they find a nest of baby rabbits in their backyard many people will assume because we don't see the mother it must be orphaned we need to bring it in not understanding that baby rabbits are only fed twice a day and the mother does not spend any time with them so she quickly feeds them and runs off so it's, it's a way to prevent them from coming into care and having us do all the work that the mother could easily do. And they'll stay much more wilder with their natural mother. So we want to encourage animals that truly need our help, that the mother has been killed and cannot look after them, that those ones come into care or they're injured. And the ones that are healthy and they're, they have a parents, we don't want them coming into to wildlife rehabilitation. We want them to stay out there.
2: And speaking of the, the education element, um, what's, if, if people come across an injured animal on their own, um, what's something that they should do and, and what's maybe a, a, a misconception um, that the public should be more aware of?
6: Definitely, um, we we have people who can identify some of the animals and some who can't. So with technology, we love that people can send us a photograph, a picture on their phone to us, so we can help identify if this animal is truly injured um, or what the dangerous parts of them are that we don't want them to be handling. So we do get some dangerous animals that... Um, people could get injured and we don't want them to to do that we want a trained volunteer going out to capture if it's something that we think they can handle like a little sparrow or a robin then we will give them the tips and tools on how to collect it into a cardboard box um, without harming the animal anymore and be able to um, safely contain it to hopefully get it to one of our drop-off sites or have one of our volunteers pick up.
2: Could you share with us a story of of an animal that came to the center and recently was successfully released?
6: For sure. Well, right now we're going through trying to get animals in and out fairly quickly because it's migration. So um, it isn't uncommon for us to have um, warblers coming through as well as... um, woodpeckers that fly into windows typically when a bird flies into a window we recommend to people containing it into a cardboard box with air holes and placing it somewhere quiet and dark for two hours once the two hours are up go back outside and open the box and see if the bird flies off if it doesn't chances are as it has a fairly significant head injury that needs to come into rehab for a couple more days or potentially longer depending on on how hard they hit the window but this can prevent some of the animals that have that just a little slight knock on the head and within two hours are ready to go back out into the wild not coming into the center and and flying around rooms and having us to recapture them Um, but really important that they give that opportunity to the animals sort of to recover nice and quietly then to leave it out on the lawn Um, that takes longer for birds to recover from injuries and could take up to five to six hours whereas it's much shorter putting them in a cardboard box.
2: Um, Before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to add about Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre?
6: For sure. We're um, definitely always excited for people to learn more about us. Um, They can check out our website. Um, But we're also looking for volunteers. We have an education program where if you enjoy talking to the public and like to do presentations, we're always looking for volunteers uh, to help us out in that aspect. Um, As for our animal care, unfortunately, we won't be taking uh, volunteers until the springtime, but As I said, we take in well over 1,500 animals and mostly during those summer months. So we're always looking for volunteers to help us out at rural site, um, changing water bowls to um, cleaning cages and giving out food. So it's a good opportunity for those who want to make a difference um, during the summertime to help us with the animals in care. Um, we have a wish list. So if people have items that they're thinking um, of potentially throwing out or they no longer want to use, they can check our wish list to see if there's anything on there or even just give us a call if they have something that's not on our wish list that might potentially be used in a different way way for our site.
2: Fantastic. And if people want to learn more, where can they go to get more information?
6: For sure. Our website is pwildlife.ca and they can give us a call at uh, 204-510-1855.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for speaking with me today about uh, Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation Center and all the wonderful work that you do.
6: Great. Well, thank you for coming out.
3: Thanks, Robert. Up next, I've been highlighting impact makers in our community as part of our Winnipeg Impact Makers segment. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker, Jennifer Laferriere, is helping cats and kittens find new homes through a cat cafe. Welcome back to Because Radio, I'm Sonny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Jennifer Laferriere, owner of Miss Jayla's Fur Babies Cat Cafe and Adoption Center. Thanks for coming on Because Radio.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: Can you tell us a little bit of the history behind the cafe and why it was important for you to create this in the community?
1: I've always loved cats. Uh, that's how I grew up, always with a cat. And I've always wanted to help and get them off the street, get them loving homes. You hear so many stories about stray cats. I just, I don't like that. All cats should be indoor in a home.
3: Before you started, there was only a few cat cafes throughout Canada. I I believe the first one was in Montreal and then you opened up originally in 2016. What was that tipping point that made you say, I'm going to do this?
1: Well, my daughters had a dance studio and it was fairly big and they were just small. And I said, you know, I'd like to open a cafe in one of the studios because they didn't need the space. And so we had the space and I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. And so we worked with a rescue and we just we started.
3: That's so awesome. You've been around for quite a while now, as I mentioned, since 2016. Uh, And your original location was on Kingsbury Avenue. uh, With this being your second location, correct? Why was there a need for this location?
1: The lease had run out with the dance studio and they didn't want to stay there any longer. We were pretty hidden like for both businesses. So we closed and I've been looking for the perfect place, you know, something that's affordable that would give us a lot of exposure. And it took like nine months, but we finally we found this place.
3: Absolutely. And since you've been here, what has the support been like in this new community?
1: It's been really great. So many people live around here and they comment how they can walk over and they come by and we've had a lot of support over here. It's, it's been amazing.
3: I noticed by following your Facebook page, you've had quite a few adoptions as well.
1: Yeah, we've had eight now.
3: How has being at this location kind of changed the way you operate? What's the difference compared to the previous location?
1: It's actually a little smaller, but we didn't have windows. Like I said, we were in a dance studio with, with no windows. The exposure, people can see us here. The cats get to look out the window. We have the sun coming in, and that really affects people. You need sunlight. So it. we just, we really love this space.
3: How many cats and kittens would you say are here at the center at any given time?
1: Well, we started off with 13. We're down to five. Um, we'll probably keep it, you know, between 15, maybe 20. We want to we keep it nice and clean, smelling good in here. So, you know, not, not too many. We had 35 at the other place at a time, and it, but we were bigger. It was a bigger space. But this, like I said, this is nicer. This is much better for them.
3: Let's say one of our listeners wants to come down and potentially adopt one of the cats or kittens. Um, how would that work?
1: Well, I would definitely suggest coming down and meeting the cats. It's hard to tell from a picture Um, and, you know, you'll fall in love with one. And then what you do is you have to fill out an application and we have to approve it. And once it's approved, you come in, there is a $125 fee and you get to take home your cat.
3: Awesome that's just one way that people can provide support is by giving these cats a home but there's different ways that people can support this particular organization that's doing so much for these kittens and uh, cats that are here how can people provide you with support
1: well the best way would be to come down and visit the kitties because it is five dollars to get in so all the money from the entrance fee goes to you know keeping a roof over their head feeding them taking care of them until they find their forever home um, so that's the, that's the first way. Um, the second is we do, we do take donations all the time, food, monetary, whatever somebody wants to donate. You can always do that.
3: What kind of offerings do you have in terms of the cafe?
1: We don't have a restaurant. So what we do is you can come in. Uh, we have tea or coffee. We usually just include it or, you know, you can make a little donation. Um, you can purchase little snacks, stuff like that. And yeah, you just sit around with the kitties and, you know, you can bring a computer, you can bring a book, you can do whatever and, and just relax with them.
3: Awesome. So what do you hope your efforts uh, do in the long run? Let's say 10 years from now, what do you hope happens after all is said and done?
1: Just have a lot of cats rescued off this, from the street and finding homes, you know, and maybe help the population so there won't be so many stray cats living outside, especially in the winter.
3: Absolutely. And with winter, we all know that's coming up right away. Um, So for those looking for more information about Miss Jayla's Cat Cafe and Adoption Center, where can they go? And is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: Um, We do have a Facebook page. So the the Facebook page is our full name, Miss Jayla's Fur Babies Cat Cafe and Adoption Center. We have an Instagram page, which is Fur Babies Cat Cafe WPG. Uh, we don't have a website yet, but we're going to get working on that. And yeah, until then, the best information is found on our Facebook page.
3: What is one thing you love about Winnipeg?
1: Well, how welcoming everyone was. Like When we posted, we had a new location. The, it was overwhelming, the response we got. And that was great to, to see all that support. So I really love that, how people will come out and support, especially animals.
3: Absolutely. Just a great community here in Winnipeg. So if you are looking for a new forever friend or would love to come by and hang out with some of these adorable cats, make sure you visit Miss Jayla's Fur Babies Cat Cafe and Adoption Center at 224 Henderson Highway. Thanks to Jennifer for sharing her story of impact. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204 944 94 Seven four extension three sixty. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sonny Promolo, and you're listening to Because Radio.
2: Thanks, Sonny. Up next, Because in Effect host Nolan Bicknell will be joining us momentarily to share some highlights from his most recent conversation with Dana Spiring, the president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg, next up here on Because Radio. Welcome back to Because Radio, Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Nolan Bicknell. He is the host of the Winnipeg Foundation's Because and Effect podcast, with new episodes out every Tuesday at becauseandeffect.org. Nolan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today.
7: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me
2: back. So this week's guest is Dana Spiring, the president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg. For those of our listeners who haven't heard of Economic
7: Development Winnipeg, Tell us what they do exactly. Well, it's all about selling and promoting Winnipeg to different groups, whether they be tourists or or people who are looking to maybe move their business to here. Um, and it's kind of under three umbrellas. There's the main one economic development, which is all about just trying to make sure that Winnipeg is a good place to and has a good, strong economy. Then there's Tourism Winnipeg that focuses on, obviously, tourism. And then Yes, Winnipeg is also under the umbrella that focuses on attracting the businesses to the city. So Dana explained how all three kind of come together and help outsiders understand just how great Winnipeg can be.
8: Our job is to make it easy to to for businesses to grow in our economy. Um, our, our job is to sell the Winnipeg advantage and tell businesses why they may want to be here. Uh, our job is to attract talent and, and help some of the, the businesses that we work with to get the key talent that they need. And, and one of the, the hurdles that a lot of businesses have is why Winnipeg. And, and you know we're we're attracting talent from all over the globe.
2: So one of the coolest attractions of Winnipeg in the past few years, and uh, something that people might know economic development Winnipeg for, because they have played a big role in organizing these, have been the Winnipeg Jets whiteout parties Mm -hmm. down
7: beside Bell MTS Place. Did you ask Dana about how those came to be? I did, and she explained basically that it wasn't even really necessarily about the hockey per se, but more so about showing people how cool our city can be.
8: People ask me, you know, were you a huge hockey fan? Is that why is that why you were, you know, pushing these whiteout street parties? I'm a hockey fan. We have season tickets. It's all great. But I did that not because I care about hockey. I did that because I care about Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And I did that because during the playoffs, if you lived in New York City and you watched a hockey game, you saw images of Winnipeg. You saw thousands of people in a cosmopolitan looking downtown cheering for their team in a safe and respectable way. And, and, you know, for everybody who thinks that Winnipeg is in the middle of nowhere and it's cold and the mosquitoes are the size of small birds, you know, (laughs) come look at this, look at these images because it gives you a different perspective. And, and I can tell you that after those first, the first year of Whiteout Street Party, so a year ago, uh, when we would go and try to attract meetings or conventions or events, groups that would never talk to us before were asking like, so, so what was that like? Like what happened in Winnipeg? How did that happen? And, uh, and, and that's our secret sauce.
2: One of the biggest criticisms of manitoba and even some other places in canada in general um from people who maybe haven't visited canada mm-hmm. before is is just how cold it is mm-hmm. what did dana say about kind of combating that idea and that perception
7: yeah there's definitely a stigma that manitoba's mosquitoes and cold right those are the two things that kind of people always criticize but she looked at the cold as not a weakness, but a strength. And we really do have some amazing winter experiences that you can't get anywhere else, not just in Canada, but anywhere else in the world. She really focused on that.
8: And, and you want to come and experience winter? Where better to do it? You know, you're guaranteed winter in Winnipeg, yeah. right? You want to go to Calgary, you might have a Chinook, you want to go out east, who knows what's going to happen? You want to you want to feel winter? You want to be tough enough to do that? Come to this city and we'll show you how it's done. Yeah.
2: You can really tell, uh, you know, with the amount of energy that she speaks about the city, you know, even talking about something that so many Winnipeggers always (laughs) complain about. She's just an amazing
7: booster for our city. Yeah, absolutely. She's great. The whole conversation, she was high energy and we were just kind of it got me pretty fired up about living here, too. So part of
2: economic development Winnipeg's work is to make Winnipeg's downtown appealing and enticing for outsiders and for Winnipeggers as well. Um, what were some of her thoughts about how uh, how Winnipeg's downtown is developing and and mm-hmm. where where the downtown needs to go in the future?
7: Yeah. So I mean, if you've lived in Winnipeg for a while, you know that the downtown has had the downtown has had its struggles in some ways. But Dana acknowledged that you know it left a lot to be desired in the past. But if you haven't visited downtown in a while, you'd be pleasantly surprised at what as how far it's come.
8: We need to get people comfortable with coming downtown for a while. And, and part of that was also, uh, you know, one of the drivers at the whiteouts. So many people that didn't walk the streets and didn't come downtown and didn't see all the development that's happening. You know, we gave them a, a really good excuse to come mm-hmm. down and check it out. And, and I think people were pleasantly surprised. And, you know, the restaurants that we have and the, the activities that there are to do, it's it's pretty it's pretty spectacular.
2: Dana's a very successful businesswoman. She's had a lot of different roles, uh, different careers in our city over the years. Did you talk a little bit about, uh, about her career trajectory that led her to Economic Development
7: Winnipeg? We did, yeah. She was a lawyer by trade originally and then worked uh, with the Wheat Board and just had a, a whole bunch of different roles and is on the boards of uh, the Winnipeg Football Club and the CFL Board of Directors. So it was pretty cool to hear her trajectory. And I asked her about her mentors throughout her career and, and who kind of influenced her and supported her along the way.
8: I would say that there's so many. And, and, and I think, you know, often we, we think of that term mentorship as as the one person that, that kind of, you know, holds your hand all the way through the experience. And, and I don't think that that's really how, how the world works. I've had so many people that have uh, encouraged me and, and lifted me up. I mean, when I was um, at Aiken's, I, I worked with David Philman and you know, one of the top lawyers in the city for sure. Um, and I was able to learn a lot and he, and he was you know, supporting me as I wanted to go and kind of spread my wings and figure out what that looked like. When I got to the Weep board we, we joked that we had the greatest little law firm in the whole city of Winnipeg. There was three of us, uh, Jim McClandress, who now works at the WAA at the airport and Maggie Weeb, who's now Chief Justice of the Provincial Court of Manitoba. And, um, and, and both of them were you know huge um, influences in my career and, and so um, supportive and so encouraging and so challenging so that you know you got to do things that were way out of your comfort zone. But I also talk about you know Margaret Redmond. I mean she was she was at the wheat board before me and I, I kind of followed her path somewhat indirectly, but um, but there are a lot of people in Winnipeg that, that want to raise you up and uh, and you got to look for those opportunities.
2: And this question will come as no surprise to you, but I'm wondering what was your main takeaway from your conversation with Dana Spiring from Economic Development Winnipeg? Basically
7: that Winnipeg is a pretty sweet place to live and work and all of the above. Um, It's actually, she talked about a lot of things that I had no idea were in Winnipeg and a lot of world class, like world caliber things. And there is excellence in our city, but not a lot of people are telling those stories. So it was really something to be proud of.
8: We've got to celebrate excellence in the city. We've got to promote it. We've got to encourage people to strive for it. Um, and so whether that's the Inuit Art Gallery, that will be world-class, whether it's Diversity Gardens in Assiniboine Park, that will be world-class, whether it's things like the Mandela exhibit at the, at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. I mean, those are all just snippets of what we're able to do when we come together as a community to do it.
2: Very well said. And I, I think it kind of reinforces the notion that in many ways, uh, a lot of the great things about Winnipeg are like the best kept secret, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of time for the secret to, to come out and for more people to know about all the wonderful things we have in our city and uh, what better organization and uh, what better person to really lead that conversation.
7: Well, as Patrick Lyonnais from the Winnipeg Jet said a few years ago, Winnipeg is good. Absolutely. Couldn't agree
2: more. 100%. So again, uh, if you'd like to hear the full conversation with Dana Spiring from Economic Development Winnipeg, the address to subscribe or to download any of the episodes is becauseandeffect.org. Again, that's becauseandeffect.org and You can also search for it on any podcast player of your choice, Google, Apple, Spotify. Uh, it's all there. And uh, there's now 17 wonderful conversations with community leaders uh, from all different walks of life, talking about the causes that they care about and uh, the effects that it's had on them and their lives so uh, again becauseaneffect.org for more nolan thank you again so much for joining me today and speaking with me about uh, this week's because and effect highlight thank you sir we'll see you
7: next week
3: And that's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today.
2: Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micahehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to
3: previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org.
2: Again, that's becauseradio.org. And if you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360, or you can email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And
3: you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for
3: Because Radio. And I'm Sonny Pomolo. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.